And this always strikes me in the Word of God. Because I, I feel like in some ways we get this wrong in the organized church today. Because what does he say after they receive the Holy Spirit of God and trust Jesus for salvation? He says, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? I don't read anywhere in the book of Acts or in the New Testament about a baptism class. I read only that someone comes to faith in Jesus Christ and they are baptized. Paul, after Ananias laid his hands on his eyes and healed them and they fell as scales from his eyes and he was able to see again. What did he do? He rose and was baptized. The Ethiopian eunuch, whom Philip had just explained the truths of the scripture in Isaiah. Does this man speak of himself or someone else? And, and Philip says, he speaks of someone else, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Ethiopian eunuch of his own volition says, there is water. What doth hinder me? from being baptized. And Philip says, if you go through this three-week class and you understand everything about it, then I will baptize you. No, he doesn't. He says, if you believe with all your heart, then you may. And the Ethiopian and Philip went down into the water and they came up and it says that the Ethiopian went his way rejoicing. this third part of the life of Cornelius, I just want to uh, read a few verses in review. So I think I'm going to go um, to verse 34. And it says, Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth, I per perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him and walketh in righteousness is accepted with him. And then... The word of God, the word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word I say, ye know, which was published throughout all Judea and began in Galilee after the baptism of John was preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing them which were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all these things which he did in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before God, even to us who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which hath ordained of God, that it is he which was ordained of God to, to be the judge of quick and dead. To him gave all the prophets witness that, throughout, that through his name, whosoever believeth in him should receive the remission of sins. 
While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell upon them which heard the word, and they of the circumcision, they of the circumcision, which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that the Gentiles also that because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnified God. Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they prayed him to tarry certain days. And we'll read further, but I just want to open in the word of prayer very quickly. Lord, I just thank you for this these, these words. I thank you for the book of Acts. I thank you for the lessons that we will glean from it. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable to you, O Lord, my Redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. So we have, in this situation, Peter is preaching to Cornelius. And he knows that Cornelius knows some of this stuff because he says it was published all throughout all Judea. The things that Jesus did and how the Holy Ghost was with him. And then um, it talks about his personal experiences. And then as he's finishing preaching the gospel, the Holy Spirit comes upon the Gentiles. Now, the, the Pentecostals today believe often that coming to faith in Jesus Christ and having a baptism of the Holy Spirit are two separate and distinct events. The book of Ephesians tells us that the Holy Spirit is our seal of guarantee of the inheritance that God has for us. So I believe that I was indwelt with the Holy Spirit and received the Holy Spirit the day that I placed my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So what is the significance of the Holy Spirit falling on these groups in the book of Acts? Every time you see it, you see it for a significant reason. When it happened to the apostles in the upper room, it was for them to see that God had kept his promise and sent the Holy Spirit just as he had just as he had said. And then when they spoke in tongues, what was the purpose of the tongues? It wasn't a strange thing that no one understood. It was so that everyone could hear them in their own language. That was the purpose of it. And then when it came to the Samaritans, to the people in Samaria that um, that Philip was ministering to, it came again to show that these people that were considered half-breeds, that many of the Israelites said weren't good enough for the kingdom of heaven, God said, yes, they are. And we saw a foreshadowing of that with the woman at the well who said to her fellow Samaritans, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And of course, with the Phoenician woman, we see that God was reaching to Gentiles. And there's two Gentiles in Jesus' family tree. 
Rahab, who was formerly a harlot. Isn't it wonderful that, that Paul lists all these things that are evil and an abomination to the Lord? And then he says, and such were some of you. But now you are washed. You are changed. Because those of us who are far away from God have been brought nigh. Why? By the blood of Jesus Christ. God makes all the difference in the world. And so then we see Rahab, and then we see a Moabitess by the name of Ruth. And Boaz... whose father was Salmon and whose mother was Rahab, says to Ruth the Moabitess, It has been told to me and to many others here how you have left the home of your nativity and have come to trust the God of Israel under whose wings you have taken refuge. And so then Boaz says, Don't glean in another field. And then after God brings them together and they come to care for one another, he says, basically, in essence, to her, thank you for not running after younger men. And Ruth was a blessing, and she was a part of the family tree of Jesus Christ. So all through the history of the world, it was always evident to God that he wanted Gentiles to be saved. He said to Abraham, through you all the nations of the world will be blessed. Even Peter, when he was on the day of Pentecost, he quoted from the book of Joel where it says, I will pour my spirit unto all flesh and people from all nations will come to me. And even though he had preached by the power of the Holy Spirit, Peter still needed the vision of the sheet to understand what God was really doing. And this always strikes me in the Word of God. Because I, I feel like in some ways we get this wrong in the organized church today. Because what does he say after they receive the Holy Spirit of God and trust Jesus for salvation. He says, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? I don't read anywhere in the book of Acts or in the New Testament about a baptism class. I read only that someone comes to faith in Jesus Christ And they are baptized. Paul, after Ananias laid his hands on his eyes and healed them, and they fell as scales from his eyes, and he was able to see again. What did he do? He rose and was baptized. The Ethiopian eunuch, whom Philip had just explained the truths of the scripture in Isaiah, does this man speak of himself or someone else? And, and Philip says, he speaks of someone else, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Ethiopian eunuch of his own volition says, there is water. 
What does hinder me from being baptized? And Philip says, if you go through this three-week class and you understand everything about it, then I will baptize you. No, he doesn't. He says, if you believe with all your heart, then you may. And the Ethiopian and Philip went down into the water and they came up and it says that the Ethiopian went his way rejoicing. I think sometimes we discourage new believers because we act like, even if we don't say it, that they have to have all the answers before they're really a part of the church. And you can tell this isn't the same Peter because the same Peter from the end of the Gospels would have been skeptical too. But see, the Holy Spirit's been working on Peter. Paul said, He who has begun a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And he was doing that for Peter. And Peter says, What doth can any man forbid water that these should be baptized? And then they were baptized in the name of the Lord. And what do they ask? They prayed him to tarry certain days. You want to know how you know that someone has truly been born again? They have a hunger for the word of God. They have a hunger for the word of God. They have a hunger for the things of God. The psalmist says, I desire your word more than my necessary food. Now, I have to admit that a lot of times I have a long way to go to get to that point, but that should be the desire of our hearts, to desire the word of God more than our necessary food. So this first section is Cornelius responding to the gospel. It kind of underscores what Jesus said about not throwing the pearls before swine. See, Cornelius was ready for the gospel. Peter didn't just go to a random Gentile home and say, guess what, have you heard the gospel? No, he didn't. Jesus sent him a vision and said, don't call clean, don't call unclean that which I've called clean. And then he said, three men are coming to visit you. Do not hesitate to go with them. And so he did, learning to be obedient to the Holy Spirit of God. And so now we come, well, first of all, let's look at a cross-reference, if we could, in Colossians 2, 13 and 14. Colossians 2, 13 and 14. If somebody gets there, if they could read it for me, that would be awesome. You being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, and he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the, out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. You know, there, there was a, a series of articles. Well, not really a series, but there have been a handful of articles that I've seen about whether Christmas could be canceled. 
and I I saw a quote, and I actually I actually heard a. a, a, a young man who works for the Daily Wire, Michael Knowles, he actually said on his national podcast, those who think Christmas can be canceled don't understand what Christmas was about. And that is really true. The cradle that we celebrate leads to the cross. And because of the cradle, because Jesus came... In the fullness of time, He has brought us near. He has washed us. He has circumcised our hearts. And that's what these Jewish believers were going to come to realize, is that the circumcision of the heart is much more important than the circumcision of the flesh. It's hard to let old habits die, isn't it? It's interesting that all through Jesus' ministry, the religious leaders of the day were constantly chastising the Jews for not doing the outward things. And what did Jesus say to them? He said, your hearts are far from me. We need to make sure that our hearts are close to God. And that we ask God for discernment to judge the intents of the heart and not look on the outward. Robert Farrar Campon said, salvation is a gift given, not a bargain to be struck. Remember we read earlier in this series about Simon the sorcerer. What did he say? He said, lay your hands on me and give me the gift of the Holy Spirit and I will pay you for it because I want the power to lay my hands on people and give them the Holy Spirit. And what did Peter say? He said, your money perish with you. Pray to God that you don't die in the bowels of iniquity. Now can you imagine having that conversation with someone in the public square. I think most of us would be hesitant to do that, but Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit, and that's what came out. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So, Cornelius had his response. The second point is the church reacts in shock. Acts 11, 1-3. And the apostles and brethren that were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter was come up to Jerusalem, they of the circumcision contended with him, saying, Thou wentest in to men uncircumcised and did eat with them. It was significant to spend time with men uncircumcised. Remember before Peter goes to Cornelius, he invites Cornelius' messengers in to stay with him and lodge with him. And then later he broke bread with them. He communed with them. 
in the Jewish culture, particularly if you were going to have a meal with someone, it was a covenant of its own. You are pledging fidelity to that friendship. You are pledging that you are committed to being a close friend of that person and being a supporter of them. That's one of the reasons why we have meals at wedding receptions. Because we are saying to the married couple, we are committing to support you in your marriage. I think some of that gets lost today. And they don't, people don't realize the significance of a lot of the things we do for weddings. But the wedding is a covenant and sealing it with a meal was a very culturally Jewish thing to do. And so there's obvious concerns. If you remember back in chapter 10, you realize that Peter took six men with him when he went to Cornelius. What does the Bible say? By the mouth of two or three witnesses, every truth shall be established. He wanted witnesses that this was really of God. If we could look at... Oh, I'm just going to share this story. Because we all struggled with favoritism. We've all struggled with who is good enough. Isn't it interesting that we as humans are so grateful for the grace of God in our own life, but we often don't pray for it or expect it in the lives of others. These same Jews who were initially rejecting of the Gentiles, also were rejecting of the Apostle Paul. Some would say for good reason, because he had been a persecutor. But we all have our biases. And we need to ask God to help us get over them. Kathleen Peterson writes, There's a wonderful story about a Chicago bank that once asked for a letter of recommendation on a young Bostonian being considered for employment. The Boston Investment House could not say enough about the young man. His father, they wrote, was a Cabot. His mother was a Lowell. Further back was a happy blend of Stalin Stills, Peabody's, and other of Boston's finest, first families. His recommendation was given without hesitation. Several days later, the Chicago Bank sent a note saying, The information supplied was altogether inadequate. It read, We are not contemplating using the young man for breeding purposes. Just for work. <laughs> Neither is God a respecter of person, but, expe- but accepts those from every family, nation, and race who fear him and work for his kingdom. In Revelation it says that there will be people in heaven from every tribe, every tongue, every kindred. Jesus shows us in the Christmas story how everyone is expect is accepted. He didn't. Jesus wasn't born into um, the royalist of families, although he was born into 
Royal David's line, so in that sense he was, because he was going to be the eternal continuation of David's throne that David was promised. But he was born to a peasant girl. Mary even says it in her own estimation of herself. She says, The Lord has regarded the lowly estate of his handmaiden. And she says, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and it doth, and I do rejoice in the name of God, my Savior. Joseph wasn't rich either, but he was a just man. So he and Mary are selected for this amazing task of raising the Son of God. But on the other end of the spectrum, these wise men come from the east and they give Jesus gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And they fall down and worship him with joy. God's not a respecter of persons. Those wise men, those magi from the east, needed a savior just as much as Joseph and Mary. And instinctively they knew that he was worthy of worship. They followed a star there. What does the Bible say in the psalm? It says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The stars are his very handiwork. Paul said this in Romans chapter 1. He said, That all men are without excuse because even nature itself teaches us that there's a God. It's amazing how many stories I've heard of people who come to the end of themselves and cry out to God and God either sends someone into their life to share the gospel with them or directs them to a Bible and they come to know the Lord because that's the power of the God with whom we have to do. Peter says he's not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. And I wonder if when he wrote those words, he was thinking of Cornelius. And we know that he was a devout Jew because he had never eaten anything unclean. But now God was calling him to eat with Gentiles. I I think that means, you know, I tend to believe that Peter ate kosher the rest of his life, but when he went to his brother Cornelius' house, if Cornelius served him a slab of bacon, he could eat it with joy. Because God said, don't call unclean the thing that I have called clean. So then, oh, could we look at by way of cross-reference, 
um, at Romans 15, 7 to 12. Romans 15, 7 to 12. So, uh, he, so Paul is talking about in this passage how the gospel first came to the Jews, but that God's purpose was for the Jews to be an example of godliness and of redemption to the Gentiles so that the Gentiles would praise the Lord. And there's so many Jews today that don't know that Jesus is the Messiah. And God is using many Gentile organizations to reach the Jews with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But his goal was that the Jews would go into all the world and preach the gospel. So this next section we have is Peter's going to give his defense of what he did. And the first part of that is his vision. In Acts 11.4 it says, But Peter rehearsed the matter from the beginning and expounded it by order unto them, saying, I was in the city of Java praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. A certain vessel descended as it had been a great sheet let down from heaven by four corners, and it came even to me. Upon the which, when I had fastened mine eyes, I considered and saw four-footed beasts of the earth, and wild beasts, and creeping things, and fowls of the air, and I heard a voice saying to me, Arise, Peter, slay and eat. But I said, Not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean hath at any time entered my mouth. But the voice answered me from heaven, What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. And all this was done three times. And all were drawn up again into heaven. So he's telling the story of the vision and his own struggle. He's saying, I didn't want to do this in the first place either. I had the same reluctance that you did. But then God told me after I said no three times, do not call common the thing not call common the thing, not call unclean the thing that he called unclean, or common the thing that he called uncommon that he that he had cleansed. 
And so he's laying the groundwork and he's saying, this is what happened. And then the second part of the passage, second part of his testimony is the actions that he took after the vision. Verse 11 says, And behold, immediately there were three men already come unto the house where I was sent from Caesarea unto me. And the Spirit bade me go to them, nothing doubting. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered into the man's house. And he showed us how he had seen an angel in his house, which stood in sent unto him, Send men to Joppa, and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who shall tell thee the words, whereby thou and thy house shall be saved. So then he says, I went down, and there were three men, as I was told there would be, speaking to the faithfulness of God. And the Spirit told me to go with them, nothing doubting. Now, if, if, there, if this had been the previous Peter, the Peter in the end of the Gospels, he would have had a ton of questions, I guarantee you. But the Spirit said, go with him. So they lodged and went there the next day. And it was significant that Peter didn't just say, you sleep on the front porch. No, he brought them in and lodged with them. And the next day, they went to Cornelius. And Cornelius told his testimony of how he had seen an angel in his house, which should have said, send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter. It's very possible that there could, be a, could have been a lot of Simons. We, we've read about some of them. We, we read, well, we read that, you know, Simeon was in Luke chapter 1. That's a form of the word Simon. We know that Simon the sorcerer was somebody we read about here in Acts. So it's, it seems like it could have been a pretty common name, but he says very clearly, Simon Peter is the one that you want, and he's lodging at the home of Simon the Tanner. So those Simons, they, they get around. But uh, he's, they, they, they said, God said specifically, God is a God of detail, folks. Do you, do you ever think about that? God said... What did he say? Let all things be done decently and in order. So Peter's not leaving out any of the details. And he said, Who shall tell you the words whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved? Said Cornelius, if you do this, you will know how to be saved. What a glorious message to hear. So those are his actions. And then the third part of Peter's message is his realization. In verse 15 he says, And as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell unto them, as on us at the beginning. Then remembered I the word, of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, 
but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. For so much as God gave them the light give, as he did unto us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? You know, I, I kind of like this phraseology from him too, because Peter tried to withstand God once before. Do you remember? Do you remember when he tried to withstand God? What did he say? Jesus said, I need to go and die in Jerusalem. And well, I need to be bound over to, to the rulers. They're going to try me and they're going to execute me. And I'm going to die for you, Peter. And Peter said, perish the thought. Far be it from you, Lord. And what did Jesus say? He said, get thee behind me, Satan. Because he knew that Satan was using Peter to spell a message of doom to him. And remember, just just a little while ago, perhaps even in the same conversation, Peter had said what? You are the son of the living God. And yet when Jesus says, I have to die for you, Peter, Peter says, far be it from you, Lord. And Jesus says, get thee behind me, Satan. So Peter, with a lesson learned, says this, who was I to withstand God? Isn't that a wonderful assurance to us that no one, no earthly leader, no heavenly demon, or, or no, no, no earthly leader, no demon from hell can ever withstand the will and the way of Almighty God. We are most likely going to see a new president take office next month. I have wept. I have agonized. It grieves my heart that people can be so devoid of morals to want that man to be our president. Even people I know who claim the name of Jesus Christ. But this one thing I do know, that because he lives, I can face tomorrow. All this stuff that we are learning about in Acts is because of one thing, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, if, if, they were just, if they were just talking about a buried and gone teacher, then fishermen would not have made religious leaders marvel. If they were just talking about a dead and gone preacher, there's no way that Peter goes to the Gentiles. And risks that kind of ostracism. Even Gamaliel or certain religious leaders, when Jesus, when people were trying to persecute the way, they said, if it's a man, it will die out, it will end. 
But if it's of God, who are you to stop it? And Peter is echoing that here. Who was I to withstand God? You see, before Jesus got involved, Peter was just a sinful fisherman. He said to Jesus, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Man. And Peter said, fear not. Or Jesus said, fear not. Jesus said, fear not. For today, you will catch men. Could we read quickly, cross-reverence, John 14, 26? John 14, 26. Remember, um, Peter is talking to his fellow Jewish believers and he's recalling the words that Jesus said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit is leading him into all truth. And Peter has been humbled and he now knows that he needs to follow God wholeheartedly. Now he will still struggle because there will come a time when Paul, who at this point in the narrative is a new believer, perhaps already in Arabia for his three year college course with God in the desert will visit a Gentile church where Peter is associated and Peter will come away from the Gentiles because Paul is there and Paul will withstand him to his face and say, Peter, that is inappropriate. He is a brother in the Lord. He is bought by the same blood that you are. I think it's important for us all to realize the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Let each esteem other better than themselves an important thing for us to remember. I'm just going to close with this story. A certain French marquis was raised to his grand and exalted state from hum- from very humble surroundings. He had been a shepherd in his earlier days, and so in his palace he had one room known as the shepherd's room. In that room were reproductions of hills and valleys and running streams and rocks and sheepfolds. Here was the staff he had carried and his clothes he had worn as a lad when herding his sheep. When asked one day the meaning of this, he replied, If my heart is ever tempted to haughtiness and pride, I will I go into that room and remind myself of what I once was. Such humility would have saved Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar. Bible says that with without him we can do nothing. 
But with Jesus Christ, we can do all things through him who gives us strength. This transformation that Peter went through from being the bold, brash, prideful, arrogant, sometimes messenger of Satan, to a bold proclaimer of the gospel to Jews as well as Gentiles. That can happen to you as well. All you have to do is trust him. Going to church is not enough. Reading the Bible is not enough. We can all have a form of godliness, but if we deny its power, we're hopeless. We need to come to God in faith. And if we do that, then we know that neither height nor depth, nor power, nor principalities, nor any other thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. There's no greater security than that. I would love to tell you what I think of Jesus since I found in him a friend so strong and true. I would tell you how he changed my life completely. He did something that no other friend could do. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. There's no other friend so kind as he. No one else could take the sin and darkness from me. Oh, how much he cares for me. He cares for you too. And I hope that you will go into 2021 with the full assurance of faith. John said in 1 John, these things are written that you may know that you have eternal life. So there's no reason to doubt. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, the testimony of Simon Peter. We thank you for using him, Lord, for not giving up on him, for forgiving him when he denied you, and for still having a plan for his life. Lord, we thank you that no matter what foolish thing we may do, we cannot interrupt the ultimate plan of the Lord God. And we praise you for that. And we thank you above all that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In Jesus' name, amen.